Well, it is indeed a great delight to be back here again. It's been about two years since my wife Kim and I uh, had the opportunity to be here. At that time, I was pastor of Draper's Valley PCA Church in Draper, Virginia, and I shortly left that at the end of that, that year. And for the last two years, I've been serving uh, in West Africa, but we live still here in Virginia. And if you come Wednesday night, I'll describe more fully what I do. Uh, but just briefly, I work at the Timothy House, which is a pastoral training institute. Uh, there's a table just outside in the lobby there that you can see some of the information about uh, what our work is. I work with the Jenkins. I work with the Weavers in West Africa. And uh, it's a great joy to see that you support them and to be part of their ministry. But now we want to open the Word of God. And I'm going to direct your attention to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. It's a long passage. Always dangerous when you read a long passage because people will expect you to talk about the part that you're not focusing on. But we're just going to focus on a verse, but I'm not at this point going to tell you which one it is. Uh, so you pay attention to the whole reading. Uh, we'll start at verse 13. A little context. Jesus has been talking to his disciples, warning them about a particular way of thinking, and then the crowd begins to interact with Jesus and he with them. And so in verse 13, you'll see that he's interrupted in his teaching, and uh, we have what he says to the people. But let's pray. Uh, God would open his word to us. Father, we are grateful for your written word. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us, your will and purpose for our lives, and uh, most importantly, uh, who Christ is, what he has come to do, and how we learn to walk with him, to be saved by him, and to serve him. Father, we pray that as your word is read and preached, that you would open it to our eyes, our understanding, that we would live more faithfully for Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So beginning now in verse 13, hear the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, why are you telling this parable, for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. There's a common phrase that you'll see on social media that's abbreviated P-O-V, point of view. It's not a new idea. It's ancient. As long as there have been human beings, they've each had their own point of view. It's perspective. It's how you see something. So if you're seated in the back row right there, your view of this room is very different than me standing here. It's a different point of view. And it's important that we recognize we each have a point of view about everything. Where we stand, what we see, helps us in our thinking. But it can also be a hindrance because your point of view can be very narrow, very wrongly focused, and it can lead you astray in your understanding of the world because your point of view is not correct. And as a Christian, we would want to have what we would call a biblical point of view. 
It's very clear that unbelievers don't have a biblical point of view, and it's also clear that some who are Christians do not have a biblical point of view. Well, what Jesus is doing in the passage that I read, and even before the part that I began, uh, Jesus is trying to redirect the thinking of people, or we might say he's redirecting their point of view. What do they see from where they're standing? How do they think about the world? And do they understand things from God's point of view? So just quickly to draw your attention back to where I began and even before, uh, you'll see back at the very beginning of chapter 12, he's, he's talking with his disciples and he warns them about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as you well know from the scriptures, have a very odd, we would say, point of view. They, they know the law, but they really don't understand what God is doing. Their point of view is wrong. Beginning in verse 4, he talks about those who uh, are probably uh, not fearing the right thing. They're not fearing about, they're fearing those who kill the body, but not about that one God himself who can kill the soul. And he emphasizes that God has a particular power and ability. He even knows the numbers of the hairs of your head. Do you realize that? Just put that in your point of view. God knows you so well, he knows the number of hairs on your head, even the ones that fell out this morning. Look at verse 8 and following. He's again talking about point of view. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit. And and the Spirit will help you in times of difficulty when you don't even know what to say. Do you realize that? Is that in your point of view? Are you relying as a Christian on the Spirit's presence in your life? Is that part of your way of thinking about the world? And then where I began, verse 13, suddenly Jesus in his teaching is interrupted by this man whose point of view has nothing to do with the spiritual things that Jesus has been talking about, he interrupts and says, uh, help me divide the inheritance. And Jesus says, who am I? Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you in your family dispute about an inheritance? And Jesus tries to correct his point of view. He says, Be on your guard against all covetousness. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Don't store up. Don't hoard up. Don't be a bigger barns. Don't say I have ample goods. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Life is not about that. It's there, yes, but that's not what is the key to your point of view. Jesus says, Lord said to the man in the parable, You are not rich toward things towards God. You're focused on the wrong things. You're a fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. Life is about your soul, not just the bodily things, the material things, all those things that we think are so important. His point of view was wrong. And then Jesus goes and and speaks about something else. He says there are those who are not just focused on the things of the world. They're anxious. Do you know anyone like that? Anxious, worried, troubled about, again, the things of the world. They're anxious about things, storing up stuff. He says, shift your thinking. You can't even add one hour to your life. That's in the hands of God. Why would you be so concerned about the things? God feeds the birds. He clothes the grass of the field. God will care for you. Who do you think is in charge? It's not you. It's God. You see the contrast that Jesus is trying to draw in these parables. He's saying, when you think about life, 
When you think about all the things that are absolutely necessary, your your clothing, your housing, your food, where you go to work, where you go to school, who your friends are, all the things that make up life, when you think about those, are you blocking out the things of God, the kingdom of God, the fact that you have a soul that needs to be saved? What are you thinking about? What's your point of view? In verses 32 and 34, he says, fear not. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you what you need. Don't be afraid. Fear not. And he focuses their attention on heaven. Put your treasure in heaven. There, that's your focus. That's where your real real wealth is. Peter, the apostle, in his letter says, it is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's where Jesus is. That's where your focus is. At least it should be. God has graciously given to you all things. And you're to use them, he says in this passage, for helping others. But suddenly in verse 35, there comes a change of pace, a change of focus. Jesus says in verse 35, uh, look, stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning. There's an urgency suddenly here. An urgency. There's something going to happen that's most important that needs to, again, be integrated into your worldview, your family uh, life view, your point of view, how you see things. And that is this, that you are not the Lord of your life, you're a servant. And the focus now changes from people who think they're in control to Jesus saying, no, you're servants. You're servants. You're a servant waiting for your master to come home. You're a servant who needs to be awake, ready at the door. You are not the master of your fate, the captain of your soul. You're a servant. And as a servant, you need to be ready for your master coming. And when he comes, the Lord Jesus, when he comes, you better be ready. He's he's your master. You must expect him. But notice the amazing thing. He will wait on you when he comes. Verse 37. The master will serve the servant. But you still are the servant. And the apostle Peter in verse 41, wanting to make sure he understands what Jesus is talking about. He says, are you just talking... To us, the twelve disciples, or or everyone? And Jesus doesn't really answer him, but he keeps pushing the servant metaphor. He says, as a servant, you have responsibilities. You have certain tasks. You're over your master's possessions. And in the parable, he talks about the servant who's not wise, and instead of keeping his master's household in order, he, he beats his master's servants, he eats his master's food, he drinks his master's wine, he's unprepared when the master comes home, and the master sees this incredible irresponsibility of the servant, and the penalty is death. What a change in, in the, the questioning and the thoughts of these people who are listening. It's not about inheritances and what I eat or what I drink or what I wear. It's responsibilities as a servant. And you failed. And Jesus says the master is coming and he's coming in just judgment. And he is the master and we are his creatures and, and we have failed to honor him. And he's bringing fire and judgment and separation and division And you say, no, that's not my point of view about Jesus. Jesus is kind and loving and gentle. Well, he's both. And so what Jesus is doing in these verses is just simply trying to change the way people think. Let's summarize it with two points. Number one, God gives you everything you have. That's clearly here in this passage. 
Everything comes from above. It's in the rest of the scriptures. What you have, God gives you. He clothes you. He feeds you. He provides for you. All good gifts come from God. Hopefully you see that as a biblical point of view. But the second thing that he's emphasizing here is that we are servants. Partly because God is the one who gives us these things, we are recipients. But even more than just mere recipients who say thank you to God, we are also his servants. It's it's who we are. It's whose we are. We're servants of God. and, And therefore, as the servant waiting for the master to come, that needs to be part of our point of view, how we look at life. We're servants of the living God. He's given us everything, and we have those things to serve him. Now, what about verse 48? Look at verse 48 with me. This is the verse. All of that is prelude. Now, trust me, we'll end soon, but that's prelude to verse 48. Look at verse 48. But the one who did not know and who did not did what was deserving a beating, will receive a light beating, put that part aside. Here's the key. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Summarize it this way. To whom much was given, of him much will be required. So you see the two parts there. Everything comes from God. It's given to you to to whom much is given by God to you from him. Much will be required. Why? Because we're servants. We're servants and we serve our master. So what does that mean? Well, is that your point of view about the Christian life? Do you see yourself as a recipient of all that you have and of your gifts, your talents, your money, your job, your family, everything that you have that you call your own has been given to you by God? And your responsibility is as a servant to the master with those things. Now, in 21st century North America, we tend to focus on money. We're very, very financially oriented people. So when you read that, you say, "Okay, Bob, this is a money sermon. No, not really. Because everything you have, your talents, your brain power, your abilities, your physical shape, everything, not just your money, not just your wallet, but everything that you have is a gift of God to you. And as a servant, you're responsible with all those things to use it for your master. So let's ask some questions then to probe the more broader understanding of what is what gifts God has given you and what he is calling you to as a servant. How did you come to Christ? There was probably someone who shared the gospel with you, at least someone who made sure you had a Bible. There are probably countless impacts on your life from the way God orchestrates providentially all things that someone told you about Jesus or you grew up in a family who loved Jesus and brought you to church. There might be many churches, many ministers, many Bible studies, many, 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 many things that God gave to you to lead you to Jesus. And now that you're part of this church, God continues to give you all kinds of things to develop you, to grow you in faith. And and so you have sermons from your faithful pastors, you have education in the Sunday school time, you have Bible studies, you have mentoring, you have all kinds of discipleship opportunities so that you can grow in grace. And you are who you are today because God has orchestrated all those kinds of gifts in your life. 
And to move it back a step, why is it you have godly, educated, faithful pastors? Because someone realized the call on their life, encouraged them. They went to a seminary, of which we have many, and they learned and they grew and God provided them for you. The North American church has more blessings than any other part of the church in 2,000 years of human history of the Christian life. We have dozens of quality seminaries, hundreds of seminaries in America. There's over 400,000 churches in North America, churches everywhere. There are millions and millions of Christians here. There are billions of dollars invested in the life and work and ministry and missions of the church from North America. We have so, so much. And that is said not to make you feel guilty, but responsible. To whom much has been given, much is required. This verse has been pounding itself into my brain the last two years. We have so much. And therefore, much is required of us. We have to think about what God has given to bless us, and that has to impact our point of view of the world. What we tend to do in North America is we think about what we don't have. Well, my car is not as new as my neighbor's. My house is not as big as my sister's. My retirement fund is nowhere near my brother-in-law's. I'm thinking about all the things that I don't have. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Instead of seeing what God has abundantly given to us and be thankful for that and then move into the area of responsibility. We're servants. We're servants. To whom much is given, much is required. I spend a lot of time in West Africa. The nation of the Gambia is one of the poorest nations in the world. We're more familiar with Haiti. That's our hemisphere is one of our poorest nations. Gambia is lower on the international scale economically than Haiti. The brothers and sisters there in the Presbyterian Church of the Gambia have so, so, so little. I'm embarrassed by what I have. And this verse, to whom much is given, much is required, doesn't just speak about material things. Do you have a Bible? You probably have several Bibles. You have lots of Bibles. Bibles are so readily accessible. You can't buy a decent Bible in the Gambia. We just shipped a thousand of them. Can you imagine not having a Bible as a Christian or only a portion of the scriptures? How about church buildings? You have a wonderful facility here. When I first went to the Gambia, we worshipped under a tree. We now have cement block buildings. They're very, very primitive, but they're at least out of the rain and the sun. Brothers and sisters, we have so, so much. And again, not to make you feel guilty for what you have. You have it because God gave it to you. Praise God for that. Worship him. Thank him. But what's our responsibility to the world? We have educated ministers. I was at Presbytery yesterday. I challenged my brothers. I said, you have better education than 85% of the world's pastors. 85% of the world's pastors have zero to little education whatsoever. That's why I'm in pastor training. What can we do as churches to make sure that, that men are being trained for gospel ministry around the world? We have educated men. We need to send those men either a little bit of time or, or full time to go and train men for ministry. It's what Jim Weaver's doing in Senegal. Brothers and sisters, 
The passage, verse 48, tells us we have been given much and therefore we have great responsibility. Jesus Christ has given you gifts to share with the world. That's why he gave them to you. Let's take the most basic gift that Christ has given you. Salvation. He brought you into his church. He led you to himself. He regenerated your spiritually dead soul. He made you alive to see the riches and glory of Christ. We, we understand that Christ died for us. He, he died on the cross to save us from our so- sins. A wonderful gift. Great gift. Are you sharing that gift? Have you done the simple thing of telling your neighbor? Your family member? Are you supporting the work of ministry and missions around the world? What are you doing to labor in this particular church so that this church can spread the gospel here in Williamsburg? What are you doing to ensure that it's being spread around the world? Billions of people don't know Christ. Are you supporting the work of missions? It's vital. God gave you the gift of salvation so that you could share that gift with others. That's why you have it. You're responsible for that. To whom much is given, much is required. The Apostle Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Jesus says it this way. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Peter the Apostle says it this way. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And again, Jesus, to whom much is given, much will be required. What are you doing with the gifts God has given you? Don't just think about money. Think about the resources. Think about your talents, your abilities, your gifts. Can God use you on the mission field? Surely he can. Think about all the ways in which you have learned to live life. Can you share that with a brother or sister who hasn't understood life from your point of view, a biblical point of view? Think about the ways you can serve in this particular congregation. If you can't think of one, talk to your elders. They'll tell you. Think about all the things that God has abundantly blessed the church of Jesus Christ in North America in Williamsburg. Think about the the way in which he's poured out these things for you. Do you realize they're not primarily for you, but for the church? Just think about salvation. Why did Jesus die on the cross for you? Simple answer, to save you from your sins so that you will later spend eternity with him. That's true. But that's very self-centered. Jesus didn't save you just so you could go to heaven later. He saved you so you could serve him now. In the world, in this church, in your neighborhood, in your family, wherever he calls you, with whatever gifts he's given you to be used for the glory of God. That's why you have been gifted. And you're a servant. And to whom much has been given. Much is required. Let's prayerfully ask the Lord how we would use each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gifts you have given to your church, particularly those that we have received. We thank you for the gift of salvation. 
We thank you for financial health, even wealth. We thank you, Lord, that we have been given all sorts of experiences and abilities and wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures. We thank you for what you have blessed us with abundantly. May we use them as your servants. May we see, Lord, new ways to give what you have given to us for the glory of Christ throughout the world. We pray in his name. Amen.